He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Isaiah 42, verse 2. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we've entered the season of Epiphany, uh, following on the season of Christmas. And one of the things that has struck me this year is how small the Epiphanies are. Not, Not small in content. The content is cosmos changing but the scale of the epiphany, the size of the revelation. If you pay close attention to the text of the gospel accounts of the baptism of Jesus, um, there's, it seems to be that the number of people who saw the dove and heard the voice is very, very small. Mark actually says that Jesus saw the dove and Jesus heard the voice saying, you are the beloved son. You wouldn't know anybody that anybody but Jesus had seen it if it wasn't for the sort of supplementary piece of data in John's gospel where he says, John the Baptist said that he saw the Spirit descend. But he was testifying to it as something that he had seen, but that others hadn't seen. So I think I'd always thought until this year, I'd always kind of conceived of the baptism of Jesus as being this moment that everybody saw, like everyone who was standing on the banks of the Jordan, they saw the dove, they heard the voice, Close attention to the text suggests that I think it's a better reading to think that the epiphany was perhaps only to John the Baptist. It's hard to account for other facts in the Gospels if it's, that's not the case. Like, why would anybody be confused after that, that they were supposed to follow Jesus and not John the Baptist, right? But their people were confused. If they'd seen a dove from heaven and heard the voice of the Father. And we know, in fact, from many other instances in the Bible, when God reveals himself, The revelation is to a specific person and the other people might not get it. Like when Paul was knocked off his, you know, knocked on his feet by the the light on the road to Damascus, it says others didn't hear the voice, right? Paul only heard the voice. So I think that's the best interpretation is that the, the epiphany, the revelation of the truth about who Jesus is, was, um, incredible in its content, right? This is the first clear revelation that God is triune, where we don't just see sort of suggestions about relationships in the Godhead. It's actually the voice of the Father sending a spirit and saying, you are my beloved son, right? This is the Trinity, the greatest mystery of theology presented to mankind for the first time. It's enormous in its content, but it's small in the scale of who it was revealed to. I'm convinced just John the Baptist and Jesus himself And then it struck me that all of the um, events in the early life of Jesus that we remember in this season of Epiphany, they're all small in scale. The Epiphany itself, which we celebrated a few days ago, a handful of sort of rural shepherds and these Persian, like, court wise men. You know, this is the coming of the Son of God, and it's just this kind of small little stable scene, right? It's kind of you know, the stable scene is kind of cute and quaint, right? even though the payload of what's being communicated is cosmic. Next week, I think the gospel is um, the transformation of the water to wine. But who knew that the water changed to wine? Mary and the servants, right? The rest of the guests, the host of the party, didn't even know that a miracle had just taken place under his nose. So it's an epiphany of the power and the identity of Jesus. But the scale of the, of the epiphany is small. 
This is actually what we might expect if we really did receive the prophecy that we just heard from Isaiah, that Jesus speaks quietly. He communicates without crying aloud or lifting up his voice. If you think about it, the epiphanies recorded in the Gospels, they're of the same character as the incarnation itself, right? Here's the almighty son of God through whom the world was made, who took on one particular flesh, right? And the epiphany, the revelation of who he is in this small setting, he will not cry aloud. He will speak and he will show himself and he'll demonstrate who he is in quiet tones. So if we receive this truth about God, it should um, alter how we expect to hear from him and the kind of epiphanies we might hope to have in our Christian life. If someone has a soft voice, and it's interesting to me that who has a soft voice, um, very old people and very, very small children. Right? If someone has a soft voice and you want to hear what they're saying, you've got to lean in. Right? You got, you, we turn our ear to them and we, we try and quiet background noise. I'm constantly doing this with my other louder, bigger kids. Like, Shh, I'm trying to hear what Daisy's saying. All right. We lean in close and we mitigate against environmental noise. The metaphor, I'm sure, is already clear, but it's just so with Jesus. That if we want to hear from him, because he speaks quietly... As it says in Isaiah 42, as we see from the scale of the epiphanies, we have to lean in, which corresponds to spending frequent time in quiet time with God, reading his word, and then listening. Right? When we crack open the scriptures, it should be the conceive of the voice that, of the spirit as quiet. Right? We read the scripture and we listen in. Right? Like, Lord, what are you... Well, this isn't a Bible. <laughs> like, what are you saying? Like, I want to hear from you. And you have to lean in. And you have to mitigate environmental noise. Chiefly, that means quieting the, the noisy mind within, which is a lifelong work. And we aren't the first generation to think that we're kind of overwhelmed with information. What's kind of fun about studying history is you can go back to the 12th century and they'll be like, there's too much news and too many books and it's all so muddling, you know. This is a perennial, perennial issue. And I think one of the chief means to attaining a quieter mind is something that... Um, I know about also by failure that like I have a goal which I frequently fail but I do think it's the right goal which is to, to be re as ju really judicious about the quality and the quantity of the inputs to our minds right? the books the internet the TV the magazines the radio because if we fill our mind with environmental noise lo and behold when it comes time to be quiet and try and listen to the Bible it's really noisy inside a um, mentor of mine said that our, the quality of our mind in prayers is a byproduct of the quality of our mind in the rest of the time when we're not praying. Lastly, Isaiah says that Jesus will not make it heard in the street. So the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done and what he will do when he comes again, um, to be clear, these are certainly public facts. Right? They are as objectively true that, as that Montgomery is the capital of Alabama. They're just, they are real facts. They are independent of whether or not I believe in them. They just are the case. So they, in that sense, they're public truth. They're not as opposed to private opinion. But nevertheless, it's interesting that Christ in his earthly ministry doesn't make a big public showing of it. 
All of his miracles are done to show forth, show rather than just tell, that he really is the Son of God. But when you look at his miracles, they are either done in very small settings, like with a couple of the disciples or the twelve, or if it's in a larger group, there's kind of this veil of obscurity over it. Like, wait, what just happened? I mean, it's very unlikely that the 5,000th man in the crowd had any idea where that bread and fish came from. I think about 5,000 people. You don't see what's happening up front. Jesus didn't publish an op-ed about himself in the, new, in the, uh, the Roman newspaper. And just so you know, there actually was a Roman newspaper. Little known fact, we always paint the antiquity as like duller than ourselves. There was a Roman newspaper published every week. It was, it was um, etched on copper and it was distributed to all the major imperial cities and uh, fastened on a steel in the middle of the marketplace. And it had like the goings on of the Senate and what's happening. It was a, a weekly newspaper. Jesus doesn't present himself to the Roman senators. He doesn't even go to Rome. In fact, he chooses to go to the very sort of far out region of the empire and then into the most obscure portion of that region. Even the Jews in Jerusalem were like, everyone okay? Okay. Even the Jews in Jerusalem were like, Galilee? Of course the Messiah is not from Galilee. He did not make it heard in the street. Um, so in the past year, we've seen all kinds of people yelling stuff in the streets. And I, just in case you're worried, I'm not going to say anything about the content of what their message is. In our society, if you want to make something, uh, something, if you want to publicize a political issue, that's how it gets presented is in the streets. I'm not talking about the content, but about the vehicle. It's, it really strikes me this year how different the vehicle Jesus chose to publicize his news, right? In quietness, in obscurity. He did not make it heard in the street. He doesn't lift up his voice. He will not cry aloud. And this is because, and this is a truth kind of lately that um, has really been refreshed to my mind. Jesus deal, deals with us as individuals, right? Because you can only speak quietly when you're speaking kind of one-to-one. If you speak quietly to a huge crowd, they're not going to hear you. Jesus doesn't interact with a nameless crowd. He interacts with us as individuals. And his, the re, part of that is because his desire is to transform us individually from the inside. Jesus isn't, his whole ministry is not about sort of forcing some crowd of people to just do the right thing by exterior coercion. He's the God of love. And love doesn't coerce. Love is patient. Love always believes. So Jesus presents his ministry in the way of love, in quietness. It just strikes me in this moment. We also think of, you know, people who are in love speak quietly to each other, not the way of force. And it's in him that the Father is well pleased, that Jesus is our Savior, and we are beloved by God because we're in him. So that's established already. We don't have to attain the Father's love because we're in Jesus, and Jesus lo- and God loves Jesus. The Father loves the Son. But as well as that, we also are to imitate him, not only in the content, but also the way in which he presents that content, the vehicle, the quietness. 
Let me read to you again the verse from Isaiah. And it's about Jesus. It says, my servant, right? In, in Isaiah, the servant is Jesus. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Amen.